0: I'm just so joyful. The joy of the Lord is on me tonight. Y'all just going to have to bear with me. I've been prophetic the first few meetings, so here I'm in the joy, and I'm going to stay in it. Uh, do you men have anything you, you want to share with the congregation real quickly? Uh, tell them where you're from. If you've got something, you please, please do it. Something that's just burning on your heart that's been on you, that God's been dealing with you about. I want them to hear from other people what God's saying. Come on. Anybody? God I'm sorry, God only talks at our church. <laughs> Take his microphone.
1: Uh, uh, I agree, the joy of the Lord is our strength. <clears throat> and I do have something that uh been confirmed and it's being confirmed as I speak. It's about God purpose. God' purpose. This word been coming up and coming up and coming up and revelation after revelation, and I know tonight he's going to take it to another level. Yeah. Yeah. During devotion one week, it had a statement that God never misses out on his purpose, but we often miss on what he offers, yeah. and he's offering us something through this conference that never, ever... Can be experienced, so we not gonna miss it. We have to ma- I, I got a made up mind Amen. that I want to accept everything that He's offering, Amen. cause His purpose is gonna be get fulfilled, Amen. and I want to receive everything He have purpose for me, and for us. That's the word He give me. God purpose. Amen. 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 God.
2: Hallelujah! I love, I love this man right here. I'm just glad to be here. Amen. I needed a refreshing, and this is this is where I'm getting it. Uh, we've been so busy. Sometimes you get so busy and you, you kind of feel like you're on the back burner a little bit. Our church has been doing really good. Bo is on fire. It's inspired me. Keisha, they've been really an inspiration for us. And, uh, you know, God's doing something down in Dothan. Amen. And he's gonna do it right here. This, this Amen. right here is gonna break out into revival. I believe it. That's what I came here for—to be revived. And I, I, I'm, I'm getting it as much as I can hold.
3: I'm gonna take it out of here and do something with it. Amen. 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 Love everybody. Looks good, everybody in here. Everybody hungry. Um. You know, we can say we want to be more undignified, but we've got to get undignified first. I mean, we need to be undignified. And, you know, and I feel challenged. I feel challenged to up my worship. And, uh, you know, there's no need somebody else outdoing me. And, you know, whatever you can do. See, God looks at your heart. It's your heart of worship. And our hearts cannot hold us back. From pressing into God because I tell you what, if every if every one of us got a million dollar check, we could shout. We got a miracle we've been believing God for for 18 years. We could shout. We would dance. We would we would celebrate. And you know what? We need to celebrate like Jesus is really King of Kings. And that we are really on the winning side. And stop the fake jump. And let's just be real and open and get. And get real before the God. You know if we got to lay ourselves on the altar. Let's get on the altar and quit playing games. And let's get serious
0: in our worship. I don't want no trees clapping their hands. Because I won't do it. I don't want no rocks crying out because I won't do it. You know you're dead if the rocks are out worshiping you. And you know you're dead if the trees are out worshiping you. And you know you're dead if the wind makes the wheat move in unity better than you move in unity. We're either going to worship him in spirit and truth and do what the word says, or we dead. We're playing games. We, we're religious is all we are. And God's pressing me, and he's messing with me. And I pray he messes with you like he's messing with me.
4: If I play my cards right, I can get an extra 15 minutes tonight. No, I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. You know, <laughs> I'm only kidding. I've only
0: kidding. i got 15 minutes buddy. <laughs>
4: you know, the scripture that comes to my heart, I read it in Psalms this week, and it says, the Lord, or it says, the Lord of heaven's armies is in our midst. And it says that, it goes on to say that he brings judgment on the wicked, and he causes wars to cease. And I'm going to tell you, that really spoke to me because at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, we, we as Christians have more reason to have joy than anybody else on the planet. And, you know, when we don't walk in joy, then we're not really being true to who we're supposed to be. And, um, you know, it's funny, uh, I think, was it Pastor Jesse last night, you know, said that he was a Green Bay Packers fan. Or did you say, are you a Green Bay Packers fan? Yeah, he is. They're the craziest people on this earth. <laughs> I want you to think about it. They wear that big old piece of cheese on their head. He's got one. Uh, You have a cheese head. Okay. Oh dear. Yeah, got oh, dear. At green Bay.
0: <laughs> he works a card green Bay, he does it? Care.
4: Oh my lord, it's worse than I thought, people. <laughs> and uh and then and not only do they wear cheese on their head, you ever see those pictures, it'll be like thirty nine below zero and they don't have their shirts on, they're painted all green. I mean, Man, I'm gonna tell you something. If those people can get that excited
0: about,
4: about a pig stand, man, the least we can do is get excited about Jesus. A few weeks ago, and i I promise I won't take 15 minutes, okay? A few weeks ago, at our church one Sunday morning, uh, and this goes in a little bit with what I what I want to talk about tonight, is um we had a manifestation of joy in me and my it started with my worship leader, and he just starts. Laughing and giggling, and you know it's funny. Half of my church got in on it, and the other half was just looking like, "Uh oh, what's going on here?" And I, and I got tickled because I said to myself, "Why in the world would you want to resist joy?" <laughs> Life is hard. Why would you resist joy? And I want to challenge you tonight. The joy of the Lord is definitely here. Don't resist joy. Embrace it.
5: Worship comes from the heart. He wants us to get back to the heart of worship. Too many have begun to worship him with their head. He doesn't want the head. It boxes him in. It tries to control him. It tries to direct him. Worship with the heart and surrender yourself to him with your heart. He gave you a new heart in order to transform the way that you think. Worship him with your whole heart. It makes no sense to us to put cheese on our head. (laughs) Amen. Because they don't celebrate with their head. It makes no sense for them, for us, to take your shirt off at 39 degrees below zero. It makes no sense. But if you're a Green Bay fan, it has nothing to do with the natural it has to do with where their heart belongs. Amen. We're coming back to the heart of worship. Give him your whole heart and everything else will align. That's good stuff. Don't put them in a box.
6: Amen. Well, y'all pulled up most everything that was in me out last night. It was a blessing in here, amen. But I do feel like there's one thing that God's put in my heart, and that is we've got revival fire that's burning already in some of us. And it's spreading <clears throat> excuse me, it's spreading around. This season that we're in is a season of preparation. We can go to a conference like this and be a part of the crowd and get it get it all excited and everything, but I mean this is all fine and good. We're getting some seed put into us. But what are we gonna do with this seed? that God has invested in our hearts in worship team, pastors, individuals that are here, that are part of the worship teams at home, the sheep. What are we going to do with that which has been invested in us? Are we going to water it by turning off that TV, going into our bedroom where nobody is, turning on some worship uh, uh, CDs or whatever, turn on Pandora, on, on Jesus, Culture, whoever, And get in there and start worshiping and praising God like he wants us to. Because that's where it's going to start. Individually with our own personal prayer time and worship time. Amen. God is going to have some kindling to work with when that fire comes on us and begins to turn in us. And we in turn are going to be used in a mighty way in this this, uh, revival that's coming. It's consecration, it's worship, and it's intercession right now. We've got to master those three areas. If we're going to make it as a remnant going into what's coming up. Amen.
0: Y'all thank the senior pastors. Thank y'all. These are senior pastors from our fellowship of churches, the Hope Fellowship. Thank y'all.
7: The Lord says it's time to teach and preach the word. For the Lord says I have given open doors right now. And the Lord says, This is the time of favor. And the Lord says, These doors will not always be open, but now is the time of favor, says the Lord. And the Lord says, To go and to speak the truth, the truth of God's
8: word. Thank you, Thank you Lord. Father's been talking to me about being one, one in the spirit, one in unity, one with Him. He says, Sanctify yourself in His truth. His word is truth. Raise your hand. Oh, do you not feel me? Do you not feel my holy presence? I'm blowing over you. I am trying to turn that heart of stone Into what I want it to be. Do you not feel my presence? It is the time to worship me. It is the time to release all the bitterness, the anger, the hatred. Do you not feel my spirit blowing over you? Are you so cold? But yet, I want to make you so hot, hot for me. Release it, release it.
7: I had a vision of a room full of chalkboards brand new chalkboards and the Lord said that many here tonight have been asking for a clean slate to start over and the Lord says I'm not only giving you a clean slate I'm giving you a brand new slate because the words that I have for you are not going to be written on worn out chalkboards or worn down chalkboards I'm giving you a brand new slate The old men are going to run like young men. The young men are going to speak with the wisdom of the old. When you lay your heads down at night, you will not lay down weary heads. You will not lay down worn out heads. You will not lay down worried heads, says the Lord. When you lay your heads down at night, it will be like sleeping on a brand new pair of sheets, set of sheets every night, says the Lord. The word I'm speaking is new. I'm doing a new thing, and my people says the Lord.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
7: Anybody
9: else over here? Oh.
7: the Lord says the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Receive it. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. Receive it. Go forth. Salvation is coming to the house of God. No more death. No more slaughter, says the Lord. Redemption.
5: Yes.
7: Receive those who are called to missions. Go. The Lord says, "Go. It's time to go.
9: (laughs) There is an idea we've had that when we bring all we have and give it to God at the altar and and when we praise and worship and and put those things down and give all we have that we've done something but it's not for him that we do it it's for us because then when you're empty he can fill you with what he wants you to have and that's what the whole point is it's not anything you've done that's so great and made yourself so high but it's that you've made yourself lowly enough to give it up and let him do what he wants to. If you're saying, but you don't know
7: what I've done or you don't know who I've been, I'm not worthy to walk that walk. You need to know that as a lie from the pit of hell, it is, it is actually pride because you're making something be about you that has nothing to do with you at all. God is worthy, the Lord is honorable. He, it is, it is he, him we worship, and it has nothing to do with who you are because he will fill any vessel.
2: I have, um this is the first time this ever happened to me. I was coming in, and the words started rolling off people, so I got personal words for people that God had given me. And um, Vicky, will your husband stand up? I don't know your name, but the father said, keep fighting, son. He said the devil had you, but now he got you. He is your protection. He's not going to let anything happen to you. He got angels around you protecting you, war angels. So keep fighting, son. Laurel. Um, Laurel Laura Prue where you at? Lauren Poole, where you at? I'm trying to get you. This is my first time doing this, so I'm a little nervous. This never happened to me before. God told me, he said, you have the same anointing that your mama had, the same calling that your mama got. He, But he said, double the anointing, double the calling, double the responsibility. So get ready. Um, Donna, do you want the word? In um, private, or do you want it in person? Or do you want it public? Done. Dawn. Dawn. Done. Dawn. Done. Dawn. Done. More. More. Yeah. Talking to you. <clears throat> the Father said you may been asking him to do some things for you. He said first he wants you to do the things that he asked you to do, and then he going to bless you. burn your reach. Pastor Raymond Black the father said you have tapped into something when you got a covering and came on a Pastor Ballard because Pastor Ballard is a blessed man. God blesses him and God said that's all you have to do is ask for the same blessing. He will bless you even in finances. Lacy, where you at Lacy?" Um, yeah. The Father said you have touched his heart, and he's finna get ready to hear you. No more sickness. You will be healed. Because you, you have been faithful, and you ain't never and you ain't never said, God, you won't heal me. You have believed, and that will test the heart of God. And the last words I got is for the um, senior minister besides Pastor Bala. For the senior minister who was standing up here, the father say, the marching orders are coming. So get ready. Put on your marching boots. Because when he send the order in, don't be surprised if he wakes you up 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the hospital and pray for somebody. He said, because Pastor Butler already flows in this. So y'all tapping into something. That's great.
8: The Lord says, don't confuse gift with identity. Your gift is just that. It's your gift from him. But your identity is in him and he is the reward. He said, the gift is the gun, but the identity is the sight on the gun. And if you do not get face-to-face perusia with him, face-to-face... Once that happens, perusia, face-to-face, your gun will fire accurately. You will be more accurate in prayer, more accurate in what you release, more accurate in the spirit realm. But he said, do not confuse your gift with your identity. This awesome presence of God's spirit here tonight.
10: And there's somebody here, maybe more than one, that I feel like God
7: is saying that tonight is the night, and don't put it off because there may not be another chance.
0: We're going to stop right here just a minute. Is it, who's, who's God talking to tonight's your night to come to know him? Raise your hand if it's you, and I'll send somebody to you, and you all can go and pray through. Who is it? Don't be honest. The first step to be a righteous man is to be an honest man, or a righteous woman is to be an honest man. We got a prophetic word that gone out, and somebody's in here that's not born again. You don't know Jesus personally, and who are you? You want to get? It's, she said tonight's your night to get saved. When this service is over, you find somebody and you get to them, because tonight the call is on you.
9: Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord says He's given us a taste tonight you can feel his presence in this place strong and he says draw near to me and I will draw near to you this is not he's given us a taste if we draw near to him in our homes in our secret place you can feel this presence this is not just something that you can feel when you come together with a whole bunch of people God is everywhere you go if you draw near to him he will draw near to us I have a word for Paul and Star and um, it's not I'm like Dexter I don't get personal words very often but God brought my attention to y'all when you first walked in the door and you're here for a reason and of course you know that but God says he hasn't called you to be gypsies but it's time for you to stop wandering and find your place because he has a calling in your life and a thing for you to do and you're going to need that authority over you to keep you straight from going left or right, when you're not really sure what you should do, and and the time he's going to show you, he's going to reveal it to you. You don't just have to go out and search for it, but it's going to become really clear, like a light's going to shine, and you're going to know that's where you are supposed to be.
0: Hey, Amen. If you're an associate pastor, stand up in our group of churches. The Lord says it's time for you to put on the garment of an armor bearer again. It's time for you to be raised up. And he wants to raise you up through the armor bearer system. It's time for you to place that Back on yourself. I know people have gotten tired, they've gotten going doing other things, but now God is focusing his army back together. And the armor bearers have gotta come forth. And they gotta be serious and they gotta be watchful. And they gotta be able to hand the person that they're bearing the armor for their weapons quickly. And they gotta they gotta be able to get out of the way and let that happen. So God God says put your armor back on. Put, put, get ready to be the armor bearer again. Put, let's take on that authority again as part of who you are in the body of Christ. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. Timing is everything, not chronos time but kairos timing. And the Lord says, there's timing starting to set on people in their spirit. You've give, he's given you promises before, and you've tried to jump out ahead of him and do it in your own strength, and it didn't work. But the timings are starting to be given out like cards, and God's starting to put timing, and he wants you to step into his timing because that, with that timing comes a promotion. In his kingdom. So timing is everything. I don't know who all I'm talking to. But I know this is settling on a few spirits. If you feel like that word is for you. I want you to raise your hand. Yes sir. Amen. Amen. Timing. Timing. It's about timing. Don't forget that. It's about timing. It's not about you getting frustrating. And running out there. And doing it yourself. That's what Abraham did. I heard the thunder of boots in order, in columns, marching out to engage the enemy. And when I saw it, there were no empty gates. There were no empty places. Everybody in the body was together. And when they were marching out, you knew they was going to kick tail. You knew they was going to win the battles that they were engaging. We're coming to a place where you're going to have to choose... To be in unity with the body of Christ. You're going to have to get in rank and not step out of rank to win this battle that we're in. But this battle can be engaged and it can be won. It can be won if we're in unity. But you got to believe it and you've got to take your place. Some people were sent. And some people went. If you went, you're a covenant breaker. If you're sent, you're in order and you have covering and you have the blessings of God on you. Be the people that were sent, not the people that went. Don't jump the timing of God. He brought me back to that. This is not all you are. It's wonderful, but it's not all you are. Know that there's going to be a pregnancy. Among these people, a new pregnancy, and it's going to be a child of promise. It's going to change the very bloodline that y'all struggled with. It's going to stop the iniquities in the family line. It's going to be the one that stands up. It's going to be a third generationer. That's going to be a radical. I don't know which church it's in. I just know that somebody's going to get pregnant. It's going to be. It's going to be one that. As a child, it's going to be somebody that that shakes the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord said there's a reason for barrenness. Cynicism can cause barrenness. But there's another reason. So that when the barrenness is taken care of, and you become fruitful again, people will glorify God. I believe Hawaii can break out in revival. And don't believe fire can't burn over the ocean and come all the way to the west coast. You could be the savior of the west part of the United States. I believe revival can break out. I believe you you can walk into the obedience of such unity. You can break out in revival. I believe, it's, I believe revival is available to the church in Hawaii. I ain't talking about a call man set of meetings either. I'm talking about a supreme led obedience of God's people. Bless him, Lord. Bless him. He's blessed me so much in my life. Pay him back all those blessings that he's been to a lot of people. Bless him. Raise him up. Raise him up. Raise him up in supreme strength, holy ghost strength. Raise this man up. Heal him, Lord. Heal him supernaturally. Grow him a new pancreas, Lord. Brand new one. Oh, kishah, mahesh, handu Clean, I say clean from the inside out. I say restoration. Oh, I see restoration. Anointing. Supreme anointing. God's sending you an armor bearer. Not a flatterer, an armor bearer. They're two different things. A flatterer is the opposite of an armor bearer. God's sending you an armor bearer, and you'll know who it is. It won't be somebody that talks about it. They'll walk it out. I truly believe this fellowship's supposed to start a church in Noonan, Georgia. As an apostle and a prophet, I believe it with all my heart. I prayed over it for my Lord, I don't know how many years. And the Lord hadn't let me go myself. But I believe God's raising up somebody that's consecrated themselves, that's, that's been that armor bearer. Then God's raising up that person to go to Noonan, Georgia and to sit in the gates of South Atlanta and save that city from certain destruction. I believe that with my heart. And I want you all to agree, me, gr- agree with me in prayer. Because I've been standing in the gap for Atlanta for, for years and years and years. It's been the devil's will to tear that city all to pieces. And I've been, I, I've been I'm been i one of the ones that's been standing in the gap. Uh, I go through there and have to pull off. Uh, but I believe it's happening. I believe God's bringing that person for us to go to in Georgia. I believe it. I've got my faith out there for it. To set in the gates as an elder in the city of South Atlanta, Georgia. Be not dismayed by the mountain or awed by the mountain. But you say to the mountain what it should do. Let the mountain be dismayed at you and awed at you. I think I'm done. We have two speakers tonight. The ideally of love with all my heart. We had two last night. And they brought the word, and it was the first night of our praise and worship conference, and they talked about seven words that God wrote down in his holy book, his Bible, that he expects of spirit-filled Christians to perceive and to participate with to have an intimate time with him in praise and worship. And they expounded upon them seven words last night. And I, I see that some of y'all believed it. Amen. It was a lot more lively tonight. Wow. The word of God doesn't come back void, does it? It shows a, it, it come out right. It was good. We have two career lead worshipers in the house with us. Pastor James Broxon is a senior pastor of one of our churches near Savannah, Georgia, a great man of God. His wife's a great woman. They have a great child. And Stephanie, we're lifelong friends. I mean, just, I've loved them ever since I've known them. But pastor James, his beginnings were as an elder in his church, associate pastor, an armor bearer, if you will. And he was an elite praise and worship leader in Nashville, Tennessee. And he knows how to raise up a worship team who's faithful in the midst of gypsies and unfaithful people. He's a man that knows how to do it. Anita Frady is an elite praise and worship leader, as you see. But she knows how to stay connected to God, even though she's so gifted, she wouldn't have to. She could fake it, and y'all would still believe it. She's so gifted. But she's connected to God. She don't depend on her gifts. She depends on her active relationship every day with God. And that's why they're teaching tonight. I know that about them. They both have an active relationship with God. And their gifts is not what drive them. It's their relationship and their intimacy with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now who's gonna talk? Who's gonna speak first? Pastor James, come on up. Y'all give Pastor James Broxton a hand.
4: Hey, Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ballard. How's everybody doing tonight? Boy, y'all look like a blessed bunch of people. I tell you, God's really good. Like you can just feel the presence of God in here tonight, and it is, it is truly an honor to be here to be able to speak to you tonight. And um, you know, I wanted uh, when Pastor Baylor first talked to me talked to me about uh, speaking tonight, and uh, he wanted a certain perspective. You know, the perspective of a of a, someone who, I guess, if you're if you're a Worship leader, you're somebody who has devoted your life to worship. And uh, that's supposed to mean something, doesn't it? Amen. And um, I led worship for 15, 15 years in Nashville, um, a couple of years in Milledgeville before I went to Nashville. Um, when I first went to Savannah, Georgia, I didn't have anybody, so I started out being the, person, the worship leader of my church there too. And I've learned a lot about worship, and I'm really blessed now because uh, I've got a young guy. God has given me a young man that I actually mentored uh, and fought, really fathered in worship in Nashville. Uh, I married him and his wife, and God put it on his in his uh, on his heart to come to help me. His name is David, and he is a David. Pastor Ballard, your word today at lunch meant a lot to me because um, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but. I love the guy God gave me because just like David, he's a young boy that he's just enthralled with the presence of God. Yes. He loves this boy will cry. He'll get the worship and he'll cry in the presence of God. And I just, uh, I'm at a, a time in my life where I'm passing it on to that next generation. You know, my time as a, a worship leader of a church is, is besides being, a, of course, as the pastor, I'm the lead worshiper of the church. I understand that, but I'm giving that over to somebody else, and I'm blessed, and I'm about to cry because I realized how blessed I I was to have a good man like that, that God would bless me with such a man because I gave the strength and the youth of my life to another man. Now, I want to ask you something. Who in here, because I know we've got a lot of different churches represented here, who in here is actively involved um, as a praise and worship leader, you're uh you're on the worship team at your church. Great raise your hand. Awesome. Well I wanna I want to be speaking to everybody, of course, but uh I wanted to share a little bit about my story because I felt like all day long as I was praying for tonight, I do have something I'm gonna say, but I, I just felt like there was I needed to share a little bit of my story because it's gonna help somebody in here that may be struggling. Now, Pastor Bowdo called me an elite worship leader. <laughs> Thank you for your kind words. <laughs> my my start in worship. I was a young man. I just got saved, and man, I just when in worship I connected with God in such a real way. It just touched me. And uh, the church I went to, I sang on my worship team, and they had this old piano, and I would uh, sneak over to that piano when. When uh, everybody was gone or about out of the building, I'd, I'd sneak over there, and I, I did not know how to play the piano, but when my fingers touched that instrument, now you're talking about, uh, Pastor Lane, when you was talking about prophesying on the instrument, the only way that I could explain that to you is that something happened. When my hands hit that keyboard and I began to worship, even though I had no clue what I was doing, something released in me, it drew me into an intimacy that I did not experience when I was just listening to a CD. There was something about the connection with that instrument. And if you're in here and you're a lead worshiper, you know what I'm talking about. There's, it's not that you can't worship without it. It's just it's just that God put that in you. And, and something is just, it's an intimacy that if you don't play an instrument, you may not understand what I'm talking about. And um, there's a man named Pastor John Staples. He wasn't a pastor at the time. Neither one of us were. He happened to be in Milledgeville where I was at, and he came by one night and he heard me playing on the piano because I had en- enough, I didn't know what I was doing, but I had enough of ear for music that I I could at least pick up melodies and, and, and I mean, I could hear it. And I, was, and I would be worshiping, and he came by me and he asked me if I played, and I told him, I said, well, I said, I don't, I really don't play. He says, well, it sounds like you play. I said, but I don't know what I'm doing. And, uh. He's probably spent an hour or two with me. And uh, that man set the course of my life on fire. Thank you, Pastor John Staples. And he was younger than me too. (laughs) Still is. Did y'all hear a little grudge when I said that? But But his passion for God and about an hour of his time he set on fire the course of my life. That destiny, the 15 years in Nashville, just him taking that time with me. Um, within a year of that time, the worship leader of our church got pregnant, and I was the worship leader. <laughs> and it's been going on ever since. Now, when I went to Nashville, Tennessee, this is the part I want to tell you about because look very few people, any of you that ever came through Nashville, you probably saw a pretty dynamic um, situation. We had an orchestra, didn't we? It was a big... I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not bragging, but I want you to know that I, I was a praising worship leader of probably, and I'm not lying when I say this, probably some of the best musicians in the world. Uh, some of them were, a lot of this music that you hear on the radio, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if some of the guys on my worship team were actually playing the tracks in the studio. That's the kind of guys. I had, I had one guy on my team, uh, he was a bass player. <laughs> and uh, he, was the, he was the tidiest white guy I've ever met in my life. I've never seen anybody. He could play that bass better than anybody. And I was told that he was like in the top three of the go-to guys uh, in Nashville, Tennessee for studio work and stuff like that. And um, Now, here I was. I'm going to tell you what's so strange about all that is because on my worship team, I was absolutely the least experienced, worst musician on my worship team. And with singers, I was absolutely the worst singer on my worship team. And somehow I ended up being in charge. (laughs) Well, that's, that's what I want to say to you. I was the least qualified, if you look in the natural, I was the least qualified of anybody there to do what God blessed me with the ability to do. And all of them jokers said yes, sir to me. It didn't make any sense to me. And, and and you know what? What was great about it is because the reason I was the guy that was there was because I was the one. Because when I got started in music, it had nothing to do with my ego. It had nothing to do with my dream to be discovered. I went to Nashville, but I promise you I didn't go there to be discovered. Uh, Pastor Ballard thinks I went there to become Jay Brixton, but uh, you know, <laughs> maybe for a time I, I entertained that thought. But, uh, but I went to Nashville to be a servant to my church, and God put this on me. And I tell you what, in that 15 years, I'm going to tell you, I'm saying this for a reason, was that I might have been the least skilled of those guys, but I taught them that God cared more about their character than He did their talent. And during that time, I taught them the difference between entertainment and worship. And you need to know that there is a big... I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But worship and entertainment are not the same thing. I taught them about participatory worship. I know it freaked them out the first time I took off dancing across the stage. One night I was dancing so hard, Pastor Ballard, I had one of those headphone sets and it came loose and I was dancing and the thing come up and the metal thing cut my lip and I started bleeding right there in the middle of the service they thought I was crazy and I was and I taught them too this one concept right here that I and I used to tell them this I would rather have one anointed man or one anointed woman in exchange for ten of the best musicians that Nashville had to offer because see let me tell you something the anointing breaks the yoke off of people talent you can make people feel good with your talent but it's only the anointing that destroys the yoke off of people and I'm going to tell you something. I taught them also, um, I taught them a lot about humility. <laughs> the reason I say that is because they had to have humility to follow a joker like me. <laughs> i never forget a funny story. I, my bass player that I was telling you about, he was awesome. And, and he would do, and he was great. This guy was sweet and humble. He would do anything I would ask him to do. But I didn't know anything about music. So I remember one time, I, there was something I heard that I wanted, and I said, I said, I want you to do something. He goes, well well, tell me, just tell me what you want me to do. I says, do this. And he goes, Oh, you want me to go? I said, Yeah, 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 do that, do that. Because he he walked in humility. And I taught him that faithfulness was more than anything else. I'm gonna tell you, I had a I had a sound deaf, a tone deaf. Uh, sound guy <laughs> if you didn't know anything about worship the worst thing you can have is a tone deaf sound guy <laughs> but man he was faithful and I had people try to tell me to run him off and stuff like that and every time I'd start to run him off and get rid of him man it was like a faithful man he's gonna, he's gonna, I say, a faithful man is going to abound in blessing isn't he Man, you don't trash a faithful man. And when all them other jokers were out making money, this guy was there every time. Let me tell you, all your ability don't mean nothing if you're not available. And I taught them about holiness. And that sound, that that guy, I didn't give up on him. He got better and better and better and better because I, I just could not find it in my heart to fire a faithful man. He was a good guy, but he was told that. It was horrible. Every now and then, I'd have to bring somebody in there to fix what he messed up, and I'd tell him, don't touch them knobs right there now, you know, just leave them alone. (laughs) So my perspective on worship, I want to talk to you tonight about participatory worship. And I want to tell you, um, I love what the guys said last night, what they taught us on uh, Pastor Lane, you're my hero, okay? I want you to know that. You know, you you dance great. If I can be merciful to a tone-deaf uh, sound guy, let me tell you, you dance way better than he did sound. I just want you to know that. But you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. And I want to tell you, I want you you guys out there, um, I said all that well while ago to say this, that that was one of the most uncomfortable things I ever did was to lead a group of guys like that because it was my insecurities. But I'm going to tell you, God will qualify you and wherever you are, character and faithfulness and all those things, humility and holiness, if you've got that, you've got what God requires for you to be a real worshiper, okay? And Because if you don't have all that, then you're not really a worship leader, okay? And um, I tell you, it was an amazing time with those guys. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6, if you will. Now, y'all know, I know y'all have heard this probably a thousand times in church. This is the story of King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Amen? And, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at it from a little bit different angle, I hope, than you've heard. It's something that the Lord has really put on me because I'm going to talk to you. Um, the difference between participating in worship and the difference between being a spectator. And, of course, you all know the story the because because David, actually there was two attempts of David to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Right? You all know that. And the first one didn't go so well, right? And the second one, it went okay, but then it exposed his hypocrite wife. You know, she's standing up there looking out the window, thumbing her nose at her husband when she should have had her butt down there in the street worshiping and praising like a maniac. But she didn't. She's up there being a Pharisee, judging everything that's going on. And we've all met people like that. Some of us have been people like that. You know, I'm telling you, people who are in revival always hate people. Or people that are not in revival always hate people that are. That's just the way it works. They despise people that are. Now I want to talk to you about This portion of scripture, before I read it, all of this hinges upon one concept. This whole conference also hinges upon this one concept. This story is not just about a man dancing like a fool into into Jerusalem. This is about the pursuit and the acquisition of God's presence. Do you, you understand that? Everything we do here, if it's not filtered through that one truth, the pursuit and of, of being the people of God's presence again, then everything we do is in vain. Because I'm going to tell you, everything we did here last night, you can do it at a rock concert. Oh, come on. You know it's true. How many of y'all, y'all dance and y'all yadad and, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, Shabbat and halal to the God of this world. Amen? Everything that we learned in here last night, you can do it at a rock concert. So what is going to be the difference between us and them? Because if it ain't the pursuit of the presence of God, what is it the pursuit of? It's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. Let's start in uh, verse six or chapter 6 of uh, 2 Samuel, starting in verse 1. Now David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart. Say new cart. New cart. Because this is, the, this is the ark of God. And only a fine new cart will do, right? Only the best. I bet you that thing had tilt, cruise control, and all this. So I'm telling you, only the, finest, only the finest new cart for the King of Kings and the, and the Lord of Lords here. Amen? And
5: <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs>
4: I mean, they had good intentions, didn't they? Okay. And they placed the Ark of God, which by the way, y'all ever heard that old phrase, you know, don't put God in a box? There was a time God was in a box. This was not, the Ark of God was not a representation of the presence of God. Listen to me, it was the presence of God in the earth at that time. God was in that box. Praise God He's not in that box anymore, is He? The veil has been rent, and uh, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad that we wasn't born during this time. Amen? So they they put the Ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab which was on the hill and Uzzah and Ahio. Uh, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing these right. I am from South Georgia so show me a little grace. Um, So they were the sons of Abinadab. They were leading the new cart so they brought it with the Ark of God from the house of Abinadab which which was on the hill and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating. Say that with me, celebrating. They were celebrating before the Lord, get this, with all kinds of instruments of made of wood, and with lyres and harps and tamarines and, and castanets and cymbals. I want to stop right there. So it appears at this part that they were kind of doing the right thing, right? I mean, at a casual glance. Okay, it appears that everything seems to be going good. I mean, they're celebrating the same thing they did the second time they brought the Ark of the Covenant in uh, or attempted to bring it in. But listen to this. It says, When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the Ark of God, and he took hold of it, for the ox nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence before his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place was was called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. Um, And you can certainly see why. Amen? Now let's back up and let's look at what took place. I mean, because at a casual glance, you're thinking to yourself, man, what's so bad with what was going on? There was a lot of things bad with what what was going on. I was reading up there, and I went to look at that word celebrate. They were celebrating. Celebrating. Say that when They were celebrating. I want you to know that when you look at that Hebrew word, it is none of those words that we learned last night. Not one of those words does not mean that. In fact, let me tell you what I found out that it meant. I was really shocked by this. It's the Hebrew word for those of you who like to study. It's this uh, Strong's number seven eight three two, and it's it's pronounced sachach, sachach, s a c h a q. And listen to what this word means. It's me. It says to laugh, to play, and to mock. Those are the three the fir- the three primary words: to laugh, to play, and to call, to, to mock. It goes on down to say to laugh, usually in contempt or derision, to sport or to play, to make sport, to jest, to play. It also, now get this, it also does mean to play, including musical instruments, singing, and dancing. But every one of the other definitions goes to, it says to laugh mockingly. And so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, when you really look at the way they did it, and I'm going to get into it a little bit more in a moment, and the reason why this is important is because this is a classic attempt of man to try to get the presence of God or to try to carry the presence of God his way and not God's way. And nowadays, I don't know if you've noticed or not, there's this big move in our country. Somehow along the line, the grace of God has has turned into permission to sin and we know that that is not the grace of God at all the grace of God does not equal permission to sin and 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 the amen and and let me tell you something else it don't mean it doesn't mean that we can just come to God any old kind of way we want to now and I want you to know that this is they 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 look like they had good intentions And I know that the heart of David was to bring in the presence of God. I know that this man had a love for God. He had a passion for God. And his heart was in the right place. He was sincere. But let me tell you, friends, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere and get killed if you're not careful. Some of the most sincere people in the world have died doing stupid things. That's just the way it works. Sincerity is never a measure of spirituality. It don't matter how you pout and puck up your eyes and your face. And, oh, the Lord is so good. So good. It's just words. It's just words. Sincerity is not what we measure spirituality with. They were as sincere as the day is long, but let me tell you something. They got comfortable, they got haphazard, they got sloppy with the things of God. And I'm going to tell you what, they had no fear of God on them whatsoever, but God changed that now, didn't He? God changed it, didn't He? And then the weird thing is, is that David had the nerve to get mad. He got mad at God because God wouldn't just take His old offering and the way He wanted things done. And I'm going to tell you something, if we're going to walk in revival and we're going to walk in and exercise and use all those words the Bible way, of worship instead of following the latest trends out there Uh, and there's a lot of trends out there people think that but let me tell you something the way that we come to God is the way that he says I like for you to come to me and that's with the things that we learned last night you come God's way not your way amen amen we gotta we gotta come God's way if we're gonna participate now But it was all birth in this one concept is our hunger for the presence of God. Now, I want to, uh, if you will, just turn with me in your Bibles because for time's sake tonight, by the way, um, I'm going to do a little paraphrasing and I'm going to give you an assignment and you're going to have to be noble Bereans or you're going to have to trust that I'm telling you the truth. But you can find the same account in 1 Chronicles Chapters 13 and chapters 15. Uh, If you will, turn with me to... uh, Actually, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me read on down in here and then I'm going to go to this other. Okay, so let's go to... um, Let's go back to verse 9. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of, of the Lord or how can I bring the presence of God to me And David was unwilling to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David with him, but he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And thus the Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. Say that with me. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. Now, for three months... David watched as the house of Obed-Edom was blessed. There was no infertility. There was no... Uh, the crops didn't fail. And man, I'm telling you, where the presence of the God, where God is, there's going to be blessing. And I'm going to tell you, man, every Jewish person and every person who is grafted in knows one thing. We love the blessing of God, don't we? How many of y'all love the blessing of God? You want the blessing of God on your life? The barakah, the one, the, the blessing that makes rich but it adds no sorrow to it. That was just too much. as they recognized where the presence of God was, that's where the blessing of God was. Where the presence of God was, that's where life was. So the pursuit of God's presence had to go on. It couldn't be stopped. Verse 12, Now it was told, King David saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom unto the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark and the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen, a linen ephod. Now I want to stop right there for a second. Why is that in, just tucked away in there in all that reading And in that story, why is that even important at all? Now, we know that the Bible doesn't mince words, does it? But just right in the middle of all that. I mean, it'd be like somebody writing a story up here and saying, Pastor James was standing up there with a pair of blue jean pants on and a black shirt. Why would anybody even care about what I'm doing as long as I'm decent and, and clean, right? Why would that even be something that would even matter? When I read that, the, the words jumped off this page to me. Here David is. Pastor Richard, he's, he's, he's doing it differently this way, by the way, this time. In fact, I want, like I said, I told you I'm going to paraphrase for time's sake. This, the account of this story, you can read it in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 13 and chapter 15. In chapter 15, in that three-month period when David was waiting, it said, David went to the priest and to the Levites and he researched the proper way to bring the ark into the city instead of his attempt to do it his way he went to the priesthood and he went and he sought out the wisdom of God and he found out that the Lord for some reason he don't like the ride on a brand spanking new cart being pulled by an ox He just don't like that. The Levites with poles through there carried the ark of God in a prescribed way and that's the way God said that's the way I want it done. The ark of God which by the way is the presence of God was carried by the priesthood. And here David is standing out there Pastor Bible. This is why I jumped out. I got excited because here he is David is from the tribe of Judah, by the way. (laughs) He is not a Levite. But he's standing out there. One translation says he was standing out there with the Levites in priestly garments. Because when I looked up, when I looked up the ephod, there is nowhere anywhere in the Bible that I've found where a king wears an ephod. No, no, no. David was a forerunner. Mama tell you, that'd get me in the Holy Ghost right there. He was. He was after the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> a king and a priest. I mean, David walks into the temple and eats the showbread and didn't fall down dead. He was a new, wasn't he a different. Because, see, everything, everything in this. In this right here, when you read chapter 6, this is not... You can't really come away from this with this sense that you're... you're, This is not like a statement of doctrine. What this is rich with is the pattern of God's Word. yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? And the pattern of God's Word is just as rich and Bible and powerful because all these things were written as a type and a shadow as an example to you and us. And the example when you read this is you get to sit there thinking, okay maybe God don't like just to be handled any old kind of way. The presence of God, God has a way, and you come His way, or, or you don't come at all. That'd be better than coming the way they did. And God, and, and let me tell you, He was standing out there wearing a priestly garment, and, and there's a part of me, I'm like, I, I got tickled because I off, there's a part of me that just wondered, <laughs> Man, this boy loved the presence of God. Better than anything. He's not a priest. But let me tell you what the priest had to do. The priests were consecrated. They were consecrated. That word, we've heard that a lot this weekend. They were, say that with me, consecrated. Consecrated. Set apart apart. for a divine purpose. They were holy. And when you read in, when you read in, 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 15 it actually says David goes to them and he says brothers we sin the last time we didn't do it the right way he said now let us consecrate ourselves let us consecrate ourselves because the presence of God and the ark of God was always meant to be carried on the back of consecrated men and women the priesthood and here they are. This time they get it right. And there's David. I don't know if he was out there just because he was just God. Just loved this boy. And there's a part of me I don't know if it's because he was just such a pattern and a type of the of the future of who we are. He was a forerunner of who God was going to make us one day. Or maybe after watching us die, he wasn't taking no chances whatsoever. You know. <laughs> <laughs> But with the, he was with the Levites, with the priesthood, bringing the presence of God in, doing it God's way. So I'm going to tell you, I, I'm not the brightest light on a chandelier by no means. I'm a simple man, and God really has to speak to me simply. The, the New Testament counterpart, by the way, I'm going to try to close up here in just a minute. I'm I want to make sure that I respect my sister's time. I know she's got something from God. But uh, there's a couple of things I really wanted to bring out. In the New Testament, it's no different. First of all, I want to say, man's attempt always fails, right? Second time they come in, they do it the right way. And God blesses it. And like I said, I'm not going to get into obviously, you know, you got to decide which side of the window you're going to stand on, okay? you got to decide whether you're going to be on, on the side with McCall or you're going to be on the side with David, amen? Um, I'm not going to go in that direction, but I want to say this right here. You say, if the presence of God is supposed to be handled by the priesthood, because in the Old Testament, type and shadow, right? presence of God was handled by the priesthood. You say, well, how in the world does that pertain to you and me? Well, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you were created to be. Jesus also was after the order of Melchizedek, right? To be a king and a priest. Amen, that's right. He stands in our stead. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says this. You are. See, in case you don't know who you are, let me tell you who you are. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. For what end and purpose? That you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of marvelous light. Let me tell you something. David was a king and a priest. And we are called to be a royal priesthood. Kings and priests in the New Testament. For the purpose of carrying the, the presence of God, being the praisers and the worshipers, doing it God's way, and we are still called to be consecrated and set apart for a holy purpose. That's what he says, right? Isn't that what he says? You are a holy, a chosen race, a holy nation, a peculiar de- people. People are supposed to be talking about us like we're like we're crazy. They're supposed to be making fun of you and me. You see, at the end of the day, there ain't but three, weas- three, three we- <laughs> oh, Porky, The spirit of Porky Pig jumped on me, didn't it? <laughs> 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 I, know, I know God does that to me because I take myself too seriously, you know. But there's three reasons There's three reasons. At the end of the day, there's three reasons why a person will not praise God and worship God the way the book says. There's three reasons why we won't do... It goes downhill from there. (laughs) We just got to let it roll away, my brother. (laughs) There's three reasons... Why we won't do what we learned last night? There's only really three reasons. (laughs) Number one, you ain't saved. (laughs) The Bible says the things of God are spiritually discerned. They're foolishness to the carnal mind. You you can't get mad at a lost person for not worshiping, praising God. All right. So number one, you don't you don't you're not saved. And number two, you're ignorant. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? But after that great teaching we had like last night, there ain't nobody in this room can claim ignorance no more. (laughs) We've heard the truth. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not is what? Or sin. sin. Yeah, y'all know what I'm saying. And then the third thing is simply this. You don't love God. You say, Preacher, how dare you? You, you How how dare you judge my relationship with God? How do you presume to know anything about my walk with God? Well, it's not really about me judging. I'm just a man of the Word. And and in John chapter 14, he said it three times really. He says in one place, in verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he says, He that has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one that loves me. Right? <laughs> and then he says, hey, let me tell you who loves me. It's he who hears these sayings of mine and does them. <laughs> what else? You're, you're lukewarm. You're standing in the window with McCall, <laughs> looking out the window. You're mad at people that love Jesus because you don't. Oh, say say that again, Pastor. They get, they've been punked out by the devil. <laughs> that's number four. You can write that down on there. <laughs> See that? That's why he's my leader. See, I didn't even think of that. Punked out. <laughs> out. See that's you can say that's number four. You've been punked out by the devil. Yeah. And that may seem oversimplistic, but let me tell you something. And if you love Jesus, if you love Jesus, you'll do things you love anybody you'll do things that you don't want to do right that's the way love works i'm gonna leave you with this thought right here the new testament counterpart by the way to what i'm talking about is found in in john chapter 15 where it talks about a body you know in bible college you know they teach you how to study the bible you know how to really you know the difference between exegesis and isegesis. and i know y'all have heard that stuff right um, you know, good Bible study habits, number one, you go to the Word of God, you recognize that the Holy Spirit is the author, so you pray, and you, and you go to the author of the book and you humbly say, Lord, reveal your Word to me. And eisegesis is when you go to the Bible and, you know, you kind of already have your mind made up, and so you pick and choose little scriptures to support your cause. I mean, if you go and approach the Bible that way, you could just about justify everything from the murder to adultery if you, uh, if you approach the Bible that way. But the proper way is, is to come humbly and say, God, reveal your word. You are the author of the pages of this book. Reveal yourself to me. Teach me, Holy Spirit. And then you look in there, you know, you realize that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse, right? You know, but thank God the translators did put chapter and verse. It makes it a whole lot easier, don't it? And so you go to it with that knowledge um, that sometimes, you know, just because chapter 6 ends right here, well, sometimes you got to read a little above. you got to read it in the context and all this stuff, right? So one day I'm thinking, because I've had people say things to me like, the Bible, it really don't work for me. And I always get mad when people say that to me. I mean, have you ever had anybody, you're trying to tell them what the Bible says, you're trying to encourage them, and they go, I've already tried that. It just didn't work for me. And something about that gets stuck in my craw. I get a little mad because what I hear is an indictment against God's integrity of His Word. That's what I hear. I'm hearing you say, he does it for everybody else, but God's Word don't work for me. And there's something about that always has bothered me. And for a long time, I didn't really have an answer, Pastor Ballard. I just kind of was like, well, I don't believe that, you know what I mean? But I think I know what it is. In, in John chapter 15, and I want to leave you with this thought. Remember I told you, sometimes you've got to consider the audience. And in John chapter 15, we're talking about being people of the presence, Right? Jesus gives us the doctrine of abiding in John 15. He comes right out and He spells it out to us. That if we are people of the presence, if we abide in Him, and if He abides in us, right? And He goes on to say that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Then He goes on and He he says some of the most beautiful words. He, He says, listen, if you abide in Me and My words abide in you, and you ask whatever you wish... And it will be done for you because my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. When McCall rejected her husband, the Bible says she was barren. Another word for barren is unfruitful. And there's a lot of Christians who walk around and they are unfruitful. They are walking in barrenness. Why? Because I believe because they don't do what the Bible says, number one. But if you look at the audience here, who was Jesus talking to when He penned these words in John chapter 15? He was not talking to the world. He was not talking to backsliders. He was not talking to lukewarm people. He was talking to His inner circle. The men and the women of God who had laid down everything to follow Him. They gave everything to follow Him. They were men who walked close into the... They walked with Him. You can't get any more close to the presence of God than walking with Him. They were men of His presence. And here they are. Jesus is talking to these kind of men. Men that had heard Him preach about taking up the cross and following Him. And they did too. You know most of them died. They were martyrs. They literally... Peter, it says that Peter was hung up on a cross upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to die like Jesus did. And then Paul was beheaded for the gospel's sake. Many of them were killed. I mean, can you imagine now, you picture the modern day apostles with their sunglasses, their $10,000 suits, and their entourage and their bodyguards. And you put them upside the likes of Paul and Peter and all those guys. Man, we've come a long way, baby. We've come a long way. But I'm going to submit to you, it was the wrong way. It was the wrong way. And the audience here, let me tell you something. We have got to get back in. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I say these words to you with fear and trembling because I am a man that needs to get closer to the presence of God. And if our playing of these instruments and our singing on those microphones Pastor and our dancing and our hopping and our raising of our hands, if it ain't about being in the presence of God then we're no different than people who go to a rock concert right. 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 Amen Sister, come on down right. Praise you God
0: Y'all welcome, Miss Anita Friday, from Kingsport, Tennessee.
10: I have never met uh, Pastor James Broxton until last night. We got to talking, and I mean to tell you, I thought, I think we, God like paralleled our lives, and we have the same story. I used to go and uh, clean the church with my aunt. And sometimes I'd go late at night and she didn't go. And, um, I couldn't play an instrument. I couldn't anything. And God rescued me. There's a difference between being saved and being rescued in my opinion. Um, and because there's children in the room, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to say this. I came out of one of those situations that you read in the paper. And you say, I can't imagine that could even happen to a child. Or that couldn't, you know, that kind of thing. And I was adopted when I was eight years old. And I remember, and I say this because of identity. When I was adopted when I was eight years old, the kids at school used to make fun of me. And tell me, nobody wanted you. And I went home one day, and I was crying. I told my dad, I said, they say nobody wanted me. And my dad said, come here for a minute. And he said, do you want to know something? I said, what? He said, you're right. He said, here's the difference. You were chosen. They got stuck with the kids they had. I got to choose you. And I'm here to tell you that we have a father. He chooses us. See, David chose God. God. But God chose David. And uh, as we got to talking last night, I learned to play the piano when one night I had a hunger. And I would go and I'd tell the Lord, you know, after we get done cleaning the church, I'd sit at this old piano and I'd say, I'm not leaving here till you teach me to play. And I'd clunk around a little bit and I didn't really know anything. And, and then uh, one night I meant it. I sat down and I said... I'm not leaving here until you show me how. Now, I was very content with cleaning the church, don't get me wrong, and I loved every second of it. And uh, so I sat down, and time's wearing on. I mean, it's getting late at night, and and I just saw these hands, like see-through hands start to go down the keyboard, and I just stuck my fingers in it. Now, here's the greatest thing. Over the years... I didn't know what chords were called and notes were called, and I still don't know them very well. <laughs> and I, I seem talented, you know, uh, but the truth of it is I am just like James Broxton. Um, I really don't know a whole lot. Uh, Pastor John has actually taught me a lot about keys, and even Pastor Richard last night taught me a few things about keys. <laughs> when someone says, what key is that in? I said, let's go ask someone educated. So I am still learning, uh, but there's one thing that I have found with him the love of God, the heart of God is for his children. And he doesn't want you to be a human doing. He wants you to be a human being. And you can do the piano and you can do the guitar and you can do the singing and do the cleaning and do the straightening of the chairs, but at the end of the day, are you His? Because just like He said, the talent, I'm telling you, it says your gift will make room for you, but the gift is not gift like people think the gift is. If the gift is making room for you, then that means there's got to be something swelling out around you. Something that's getting big around you. And I'm not talking arrogance and pride and all that. I'm, I'm talking about where you're so pregnant with the purpose and the presence of God that when you walk into a room... It suddenly just kind of makes room for you, pushes everything back until you're in that place. You know what I'm talking about, that big pregnant woman that walks in, and everybody, you know, she's got to get behind two chairs, and everybody's got to kind of move and shift as she's coming in, and you suck everything in, and you know what I'm talking about? Well, tonight I want to talk to you about the presence of God. Now, we had the same sermon we started talking last night. I mean, I'm talking verbatim, the same Greek words, the same everything. And I went home last night, and uh, I sat down, and I said, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to do this? I said, I can get up there, and I'll preach the same message. I mean, word for word. And uh, the Lord said, why don't you pick up where he left off? I said, okay. So I want to talk to you about the heart of the presence of God. Because there was due order. You know, the Bible says over in uh, First Chronicles, in 1 uh, Chronicles, let's say, chapter 15 and verse 13. And when they're talking about bringing in the ark of God, and he says, For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. There is a due order with the presence of God. Okay, it's very important to God how you treat his presence. God meant for the presence To rest on worshipers. He meant for it to rest on the royal priesthood. See, when I read this story, the ark itself, this man-made cart thing that they'd made to put the ark on, it would be like you thinking for one minute as you walked in with your entourage that the presence of God was on your ministry. That man-made kingdom you put, but it's not. God said, I want it to be on my worshipers. I want it to be on my priests. He never meant for it to rest on a ministry, a building, uh, uh, the thing you've made, your kingdom you've made. He meant for it to rest on the worshipers. McCall despised the extravagant worship of God, and she was barren. Let me say this. Religion will always want worship to be measured, and religion always hates The abandoned, total, extravagant worship of the Lord. When you bring your whole heart to the Lord, you bring everything that you are and all that you have. When the widow brought her two mites in, she brought all. That's how you got to come when you worship the Lord in his presence. You don't just come in, you know, with a little bit and I'm just, uh, I hope nobody, I'm just going to do this so they'll quit looking at me and they'll think I'm worshiping and I'm holy and, you know, no. Because he said in Isaiah 29 and 13, he said, These people say they're mine, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote, a mechanical, habitual repetition of something to be learned. We can come into the house of God together. We can in our living rooms give lip service to God, and our hearts never even touch His presence. You can go through the motions. You can convince the best pastor and the best prophet that you've just heard from the Lord. And God's touched your life. And you could even shed a tear. But when you get up, are you changed? Have you come to the face of God? Have you seen yourself? Have you seen the error of your ways and said, The man that's in that mirror, in comparison to his glory, I don't want to be that anymore. I didn't want to be an abused child, a forgotten child. A, I wanted to be my father's daughter. <laughs> and when I would come into the likeness of the glory of God, I get what you're talking about. My fingers, there was something about just touching the keys, there was something about the beauty of knowing God had given me a vehicle to drive with the glory. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you ask somebody in a foreign country who's walked 16 miles a day and all of a sudden they get a bike, watch out. It's like God showed up and kabam, you know what I'm talking about. And then to get a car on top of that, I mean, you live in large. You know what I'm saying? But you don't realize what it is until you've had it, right? Now, I love this because when he was talking about the barrenness, And how religion will always measure politics measures. You know what I'm saying? Really, the truth of it is, it always measures it. But I love this. Anytime you are in the presence of God, you are in an atmosphere that is a womb. It's a womb. And I'm prove it to you. Because why would God all of a sudden put barrenness on McCall? for despising the worship of God and the presence of the Lord. Back in that time, to bear a child was everything. It was legacy. You were leaving something. It was a huge deal to bear a child. And God, it says from that moment forward that she was became barren. That meant she never got to create or produce anything with the king. Never. Her and David... Come on, put that in a spiritual parallel. If you are barren, you don't get to create anything with God. When you step into the presence of God, you can't come at this thing like some religious hoopla. You can't go through all the motions. You can't have your lips doing the service and your heart so far from them, and you've got the great mechanics, but nothing ever happened. The presence of God is a birthing place with the Lord. Intimacy creates planted seeds. That birth in the spirit. The word presence in the Old Testament means perusia. The face to face with God. Moses said, he didn't want to go into the the promised land if God wasn't going. God said, I'll send my angel. He He says, I'm going to send my angel. I'm just so tore up about the people and how they act. I'm sending an angel. And Moses said, if you're not going, then I don't want to go. I'll stay right here in bondage. I don't want to go where everything's flowing with milk and honey and all that, you know, kind of thing. I'll stay right here. You know, I don't want to just have the blessings. I want to have you. The word of God says, sing, O oh barren woman. Because what you get to create with, the God, with God is going to be a whole lot more than the married one. Before you know it, the children you have are going to overtake how many children she has. Just sing. Just rejoice. Just do the seven things of praise if you're not barren. And all of a sudden, you will find out that what you, come on, Tracy. <laughs> all of a sudden, you will find out that your children will overtake the married woman's. <laughs> He says, go ahead and sing, barren woman. Let me tell you something. It was a big deal for McCall to be barren. There's these great, you know, you read it all through the Psalms. All these great scriptures, are they're going on. And all of a sudden, you see randomly in the middle of the Psalms, oh, bless the Lord, praise him, and bless his name, all this stuff. And it says, and the spirit comes and lays her eggs on the altar. Why? Because it's a birthing place. The presence of God is where you get, you know, that dream buried deep inside of you, uh, like the, the, the jacket that nobody ever sees and the you know the dreams and all that stuff you, when you get in the presence of God what happens you come face to face with God you start talking you want a dream center? i want you to have one you, you want the lost to come in i want you to have them you want the prostitute, you want the backslider, I want you to have them. All of a sudden, the dream on the inside of you when you get inside the presence of God and you're not just bringing your lip service, but you're bringing your whole heart. You're bringing everything you've got because here's what happens is those words don't just happen. They manifest because you're so in love with God, you're so lost in his presence, you can't get enough of him. Have you ever laid down at night and had your Bible in your hands and maybe the work of the day got away from you and you hold it and you say, oh God, I miss you i miss you where your heart is you long for him you can't get enough of him you've got to have him you know you know that life doesn't keep going without him I'm, i'm telling you you have to bring your whole heart the halal means nothing if you can't bring your whole heart the shout the extent you can't come in agreement with a god that you don't have your heart with him you can't there's nothing to agree on When Saul Saul represented religion, okay? When Saul got exposed, he looks over and he says, honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. He gets upset when he gets exposed in sin and he says, honor me. Please. He pleads with the prophet. When David gets caught in sin, He breaks, he repents, he fasts, he prays, he knows his child's going to (laughs) die. There's no way around it. Here comes his heart. And the Bible says, after he heard the news that his child was dead because of his sin, he worshiped the Lord. There is a place that you can bring your heart in worship, in the presence of God If you've never been through anything, then you don't get this. But where the whole of everything is falling apart, maybe where you have disease and you hear from the enemy every day, you're gonna die. Or maybe you've lost the best thing, you've lost your spouse, you've lost, and all of a sudden tears streaming down your face, the weight of everything on you. You lift your hands. In the toda or the yada, you, you begin to shout. You begin to sing. You begin to bless his name. You begin to tell him how magnificent he is and how wonderful he is, even with the enemy on the back of your mind saying, he's not going to come through for you. Do you see what you're living in? Do you see the barrenness that you're in? Do you see the destruction that you're Do you know that you were an abused child? God's never going to use you. Do you know no man will ever love you? I bless your name. I honor you. Your words are true. Your promises are true, God. Everything you said is true, God. And you bring your whole heart. And the weight of the world falls off in you and daddy. You just get to hang out for a minute. And maybe he just wants to hold you, and maybe he wants to give you the secrets to the universe. <laughs> you can Toda and Yada and Brock and Halal and you. but if you don't bring your heart, then you just are a mechanical bull bucking around, and anybody can put money in that machine. Jeff Faircloth said something to me one night. I mean to tell you, rock my world. He said, don't you ever put a price on your, it was right after my CD came out. He said, don't you ever put a price on your gift? And I'm standing there, I'm thinking, God help me do this the right way. I'm never putting a price on my gift. I'm never putting a price on my gift. Because, he said, it's priceless. It might have cost you everything. But there's no price on it. You can't put a price on the presence of God. There is no exchange. I have walked off the best stages of this world. I have played with the greatest musicians of time and sang. I have been offered money, CDs, you name it, I, I I could be the person you listen to in Nashville. But I climbed the religious ladder of success. And when I got there and had the 30 pieces of silver in my hand, I'll never forget it. I hadn't felt his presence in three months. I would go home and lay on the floor and say, God, I don't know what I've done but I'm holding 30 pieces of silver, and if you'll just take it back and give me Jesus and his presence, I'll give you anything. And I just hugged it. He said, okay, don't touch a piano for one year. What? He said, until you're willing to do what Abraham did with Isaac and let me resurrect it, when you know that it's dead, when you're willing to count it as dead, when you're willing to say, this gift I have, do not it's all resting on your fruit, and it's all resting on your character. I'm telling you right now. It's like putting a, a big old fat rifle, I don't even know the names of guns, but one of those that shoots a whole lot of bullets at one time in a two-year-old's hand. If he doesn't know how to work that thing, it's going to kill him, and he's going to kill everybody around him. When you you lay that thing, when you lay the gift, when you lay the talent down on the altar, and you say to yourself, I'm not picking it up until I know it's what God wants me to do. Go over to Romans 12 and 1. And I'm going to read this already dissected for you for time. I beseech you, brethren, by the deep place of God. That you would come up and prove the church, the body of Christ, as a living, awakening, awakened offering, the Lord accepts because it's offered up on His terms. That is set apart, and like His nature, full of faith, where you are fully persuaded, and what you bring is well pleasing unto God, which is in, which is your in birthing, the birthing place. Of that which you are fully persuaded of that renders divine worship. That's the scripture that says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you'd offer up yourselves as a living sacrifice. That's what it means. You'd come on his terms. You'd bring your heart on his terms. So you get to go into the birthing room, that birthing place, where you offer up full divine worship unto God. In the book of John, it doesn't say that God is or seeking worship. It says... That God is seeking worshipers. And he's seeking those to worship him in spirit and truth. He's he's seeking a worshiper. He's not seeking your, your stuff. He's seeking you to be the worshiper. An orphan will see an egotistical, jealous ruler who takes from you. And if you don't give it, they'll punish you. But a son sees a loving father looking to get you to the place of identity as a son that you can have access to it all access to it all (laughs) you know why we have a problem with miracles healing it's not that God won't it's not that he can't it's not that it's not his time any of that stuff, we don't believe he wants us to have it. You know, where you believe God—I know—I I buried many a child, where you believe God for everything you've got, and you birth a child, and you get to hand it around a room, and everybody gets to spend time with it before you put it in the ground. And you get to a place where you say all the right things, you know, the lip service. Oh, he makes a barren woman to keep house and a joyful mother of children. You start quoting the scriptures. Uh, You know, in Malachi it says, I won't cast my fruit before it's time in the field. You know know what you're saying. There's that part in the heart that's kind of, is he really the one that will keep you from casting your fruit? Is he really? And instead of giving way to the presence of God and magnifying the Lord and giving the halal, I'm telling you these seven ways of praise they have gotten me out of so much in my life they have flipped my identity from who I thought I was to who I am yeah. Yeah. I, I get it when pastor ballard said this is this ain't who you are this isn't well, this isn't this isn't what god you're right it's not I'm a son I'm a, son. I'm, a son. I'm a wEOS I'm not a technon I'm a wEOS I know what he's doing yeah. I know what he's doing. I know where he's going. Why? Because I got down on my knees. I did the Shabbat. I brought my heart. I knelt before him. I laid prostrate before him. And I'm not talking on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. and I'm talking on Monday morning when nobody's there but me, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. When no one was looking. When I didn't have anybody to impress with my nice talent and gift, but him. And I brought it all. And I halaled. My family thinks I'm crazy. Okay. (laughs) I can dance. There be no music in the room. I can hear it deep down inside of me. (laughs) Pastor Dan Lane does too. Where are you at? That's so funny. He wakes up hearing it too. I love that. Dee Dee does too. We wake up to song. I can be in a room and hear nothing and dance like the greatest praise song was. Y'all, sometimes in worship, I mean, people are weeping before the Lord. And I can't contain what's on the inside of me. I have to halal. Halal. I have to shout. I have to release something. And you know it's so crazy when you stifle that stuff. You know, when you're in a car, I know tonight it came over some of you. You wanted to just ah, with everything you had. You wanted to sing a new song you've never sang before. You wanted to just kick your foot in the air or something and, and you and you didn't. You just a little bit and you know <sighs> There's a release that takes place in the spirit. You are a trumpet. Your whole body, your whole being is this massive trumpet. It's this, it, Lucifer, when he was in heaven, his body was made of pipes and all these things. And when he, the Bible said he'd walk into the midst of the throne of God and the glory of God would come inside of him and it would bellow out of him into the heavens That's who you are. I can prove it to you because when the Bible says Jesus saw him fall like lightning to the earth, that he goes to talk to his man of God, he says, get a breastplate. Put the stones in it. I'll tell you how to do it. The same stones set the same way inside Lucifer. He told Moses to do it. The lead worshiper of heaven, who did he put it on? Man. He put it on his man. We have a responsibility to the kingdom of heaven. These are not seven words you got to hear in a conference. These are seven accesses to heaven in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 22 and 22 says, You got that, Stephen? You don't got that one? Okay. Isaiah 22 and 22 says, And he will place the key of David upon his shoulder. And he will open doors that no man can open, and he will shut doors that no man can shut. There is an access into the heavens, into the realm of the Spirit, by these seven ways of praise. Now, what was going on in Isaiah when he was talking about this? Shebna, the priest had the key of David on him, and he could open doors that no man could open. He could shut doors that no man could shut. And the problem with Shebna was he would not bring the people to the presence of God. He, he just wanted it for himself. He, he did nothing to keep the people having access to God. So God takes the key of David off of him. I'm talking about presence. And he puts the key onto Elkham. And Elkham make sure the people have access. He makes sure people have access to the presence of God. Now, listen. In Revelations 3, 7 through 9, he's talking to the church of Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, I write these things, saith he that is holy and he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and he that shutteth and no man openeth. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength. That that there means little dunamis power. You've not seen many miracles, but you've kept my word. You have not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and they are not, but they do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and they will know that I have loved you. See, these seven ways of praise are like a key. Pastor Dan was telling me about a a vision, an open vision he had the other night, where he was uh, in a worship service, correct? And all of a sudden, they were talking about the miracles of God, and he sees a door open in the Spirit. People are and shabakin, Toda and yada, and all over the place. And here opens this door. Let me tell you something. You can have a door open to you in the spirit realm and have access into your life. I'm talking about living this thing. I'm not talking Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and Sunday morning. And we- I'm talking at home, living this thing. This should change and turn your whole world upside down. This whole conference should just flip it up on its right side. Amen? You can have an access... They had an open door that no man could shut. This is what the key is. People that God uses are the ones that say yes to the degree of suffering and sacrifice, that it is necessary for them to be seated in a place of intimacy. Where they say, if I am never anything but his, it is enough for me. You say yes to sacrifice. You say yes to suffering. To the degree that it seats you in a place of intimacy. Where all of a sudden it doesn't matter what the gift is, the talent is, the office, the title. The You say yes to the degree that when you find out to be his is enough. Okay, take that to the halal. Take that to the todah. You know what I'm saying? Take that to the altar. In Amos 9. I got to go there. Now, here's what you don't know, probably some of you, because I was just wowed by this. Did you know that David had a tabernacle? And it was just this huge tent in the middle of the wilderness. And he brought the Ark of the Covenant in and sat it down in the middle of it. I said, okay, everybody magnify the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're just going to bless the name of the Lord. And they just loved God. And everybody had access to his presence. Now, that just blows my mind. And did you know that there was a time after all those blood sacrifices that David didn't offer up, offer up blood anymore? He offered up the sacrifice of Praise. There was something, he didn't, he didn't do, you know, the whole routine and all that they had to do and everything with the, the priest and all that. He just simply offered up a sacrifice of praise unto God. And in Amos 9, verse 11, it says, And in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. It doesn't say the tabernacle of Moses or the tab- tabernacle of Solomon. It says the tabernacle of David. That they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all of the heathen, or the Gentile, which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that, that doeth this. I don't know about you, but I would like to have my breaches closed up, my ruins raised. I would like to have my gaps filled in. We have access. See, David wasn't baptized in the Spirit and born again. And he danced with all of his might. We have no excuse. They got to see into this day. The Bible says the prophets of old saw a day coming, but they didn't get to be in the day. You know what I'm saying? We have no excuse. You have a helper, you have the Holy Spirit. I want, I want to tell you something about this. This is so cool to me. We're going to read on all the way to 15 because this says revival to me. You get the seven ways of praise deep down inside of you, and you bring your whole heart. I'm telling you if, you, if you've got to have a conversation with God to get your heart in the right place to come. We were in this room today praying, and I didn't understand it. I get it now. It says a word. The word came over me in there, and I was just kind of mulling it around inside of myself. And God said, repent and be converted. That the times of the refreshing of the Lord might come upon you. Repent and be converted. S- turn it around. Switch it around. The way you think. The way, you, the way your mind goes. The way you act. That the times of the refreshing of the Lord might come upon you. I'm ta- you don't realize it, but you do a lot of these seven ways of praise when you've got to put the spare tire on. You know, like when you use God like a spare tire because everything goes bad and the tire's flat and you're my last resort, God, here I come to pray. And then you want to bless his name and then you want to kneel down before him and then you want to seek him with your whole heart and then you want to heal and then you want to, you know, why do that? Why, why do the lip service thing when we have access? We have access to God through these seven ways. If he's going to raise up the, ta- the the tabernacle of David in the last day, where all men can come unto God, come unto his presence, face to face. He's given us seven ways to do it, okay? It says in verse 13, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that the ploughman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of the grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink of the wine thereof, and they shall also go and make gardens, eat, eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled out of their land, which I have given to them, saith the Lord God. In order for the reaper and the sower to come hand in hand, that's like you dropping seed, me coming around and picking up a harvest. That is revival. Where the harvest is so ripe that you can barely get it in the ground. And I'm plucking it up because it's growing like that. This is coming off of him saying, I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David in the last days. Your ruins, your breaches, all this stuff is going to get closed up. The tabernacle of David. You go and read in Chronicles. You go and read in Second Samuel. They're Halal and Barak, and they're all of it, all the time, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. They're giving God. their all. They're magnifying the Lord. They're giving God everything. Giving Him everything. Giving Him. They're bringing their heart. This is how it went. It was, I'm going to take your weapon. You'd get my. You'd get my plow. We'd go and swap out. But then here, you hand your instrument over to him, and then you play the instrument. They never stop living life what do you think they just stood under a tent magnifying the Lord they had to go to war they had to work they had to feed their kids it was an exchange but they kept it going and kept it going God said I want to raise that up in the last days I want that in the last days you know what I'm talking about where your burden becomes my burden your troubles my trouble My joy is your joy. Your joy is my joy. That's covenant right there. They had covenant under that tent. You you know what? You got to go make some bread for your babies. That's okay. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to go to war in the spirit while you go to war on the land. Do, Do you see what I'm saying? You can take this. Every awakening and great revival was ushered in through worship and prayer. People got so hungry, they just started going to God. They just started magnifying Him. I'm not gonna leave here, God, until you talk to me. I'm not gonna leave here till we encounter one another. I'm not gonna leave here till I look like you. I'm not going anywhere, God, until we do something. I'm not getting out of this presence until we create something in the Spirit. When was the last time you stayed in the presence of God and you halaled and you teheeled? You did all of that until he showed up and changed or he showed up and brought you an answer. Let's not bring the mechanics so you can keep brother so and so off your back so he won't ask you again, how's your spiritual life? Bring it all. Bring it all. Bring it all. Bring it all. I don't know about you. I want the hills to melt. I tell you what, every time I get another show far blast from Pastor Vicky says, "Hey, pray. This is going to something on the inside of me says, when will God's people, when will we start going for one another? When will I dance? When will I dance till you don't feel the bondage anymore? Because these seven words are covenant words. How long am I going to stay in the Shabbok? My face kneeled down towards the ground blessing his name until I know you're not burying your baby. (laughs) These are not just seven mechanical. These are seven words. These seven words make people come in our churches and say, oh my God. And at the same time, I was I was the junkie heroin prostitute walked <laughs> in and didn't understand any of it and everything within me said I want what they have Amen. I got to have it Amen. when the drugs were screaming you can't live without me god was screaming you can't live without me <laughs> They're not just seven mechanical things. They're access to a holy God who has every answer you will ever need. They're access to the heart of your daddy (laughs) that knows what his children need. He gives good and perfect gifts. Do it until it changes you. Do it all (laughs) until you ain't got nothing left. Where you really do pour out your vial. Where you really do pour it all out on the floor. You know how they, the gaming thing, leave it all on the field? Leave it all on the field.
0: I don't think the work's gonna be finished here tonight. I think we're gonna to have to go home, like the prophet has said, and we're gonna to have to go in to a quiet place where nobody can see us, and we can see nobody else. We're going to have to leave our phones outside. We're going to have to leave anything that steals our focus outside. And to get this conviction off of us, we're going to have to ring in with our heart, with God, in that secret place. It's not going to be done here tonight. But it's going to be done if you seek him with your whole heart. Those are two of the most convicting words I've ever heard in my life. Both of them went together. And they built upon each other. Revival is not always goosebumps and empire building. Sometimes it's tearing down to the a, a, a faulty foundation and rebuilding the right way. And that's what God's doing. There's some faulty foundations that are being dug up, and God's going to rebuild the house His way. And instead of a rock concert. We're going to have a heart concert.